Good morning, everybody. So good to see you all here. Thanks for being here with us this morning. My name's Dan, if I haven't met you yet. And like Dylan mentioned earlier, um, we're after the celebration Sunday next week, we're gonna have a, an all-church potluck. And we, I, w- I would love to see you at that. Uh, whether you've, you've gone to a lot of potlucks or whether you're brand new here, our goal is we, we wanna connect and we want to get to know you and help you get to know one another. And so uh, please, please join us. Uh, for that if you're able to, and I think there's details about that in the bulletin, and we try to make it as super simple as possible, and um, hopefully it'll be a great time. If you have your Bible with you, please open to Ephesians 1, chapter 3. Excuse me, Ephesians 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. So this morning we're going to continue to look at at this amazing letter that the Apostle Paul wrote while he was under arrest in Rome for his faith. The the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this letter to the Christians in a town called Ephesus. And several years earlier, Paul had lived among these people in Ephesus. He'd ministered there for about three years. And Ephesus was a town known for its idol worship known for its witchcraft and sorcery, and known for its sexual immorality. And since most of the Christians in Ephesus had come out of this, uh, Paul reminds them that their past is past because of Jesus. God forgave them of their sins and made them new creations when they trusted in Jesus. Last Sunday, we looked at Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 as one cohesive unit, because in the Greek, that is one long sentence. And I summarized the big idea of verses 3 to 14 as this. Praise the Lord for loving us immensely by blessing us lavishly with his glorious grace through Jesus Christ. In these verses, Paul is is telling us to praise the Lord because, he says, the Lord is blessed. The Lord is praiseworthy. He's worthy of your praise. And so he's essentially saying, consider how the Lord has loved you in Jesus Christ and be thankful and praise him. And over the next five Sundays, we plan to explore each aspect of God's love that Paul describes here in this passage. If this is your first time here, uh, you should know today's sermon will be unusually heady and deep because the passage we've come to today demands it. Here at Cedar Home, we mainly preach through books of the Bible entirely verse by verse because we don't want to pick and choose from God's word only those things we want to hear or those things that are the easiest to hear. We want to hear the whole word that God has revealed to us. And that means, though, that sometimes we, we, we wade into deeper waters, and that is what God has appointed for us today. So um, before we read Ephesians 1, 3 to 14, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this time we've had together so far. As we open your word, we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would give us humble hearts, that you would give us uh, worshipful hearts, that you would give us thankful hearts, that you, Holy Spirit, would open our eyes to see the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We pray this in your name, amen. Ephesians 1, 3 to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." So this morning, we'll look at the first aspect of God's love that Paul describes in this passage, God's choosing and predestinating love. Now, I want to show you a picture of a street sign here that I hope will help us. If, do you, did you get that street sign? Oh, yes, you did. Okay. It says, proceed with caution. Okay? That's a helpful warning for us as we talk about God's predestinating love this morning. Because there are certain Christian doctrines that are more complicated and more mysterious than other doctrines. But that doesn't mean we should avoid these passages or apologize for them. God wants us to know these things. That, that being said, we want to be careful to approach this passage with a spirit of humility and with reverence before God. This is the kind of passage you symbolically take your shoes off. <laughs> because you're walking on holy ground here, okay? When all of scripture is that way, but especially I feel it here, we have to acknowledge we are flawed, finite human beings exploring some of the most profound mysteries of the holy, sovereign God of the universe. And we wanna humbly submit to and trust this God who tells us in Isaiah 55, eight to nine, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As I've anticipated preaching this sermon over the past eight weeks, I have felt humbled to preach, and unworthy, honestly, to preach on such a holy topic. And I felt overwhelmed about how to even begin to preach on this text, because so many commentaries have been written about it, so many sermons have been preached about it, so many people have argued about it. And so I was very thankful on Monday morning of this past week when God really helped me as I started to prepare this sermon. And the thought that came to my mind, which I believe God graciously put there, was this. Just start with the text. Just preach the text. Preach the text and let people wrestle with the text for themselves. So that's what I'm going to try to do. So let's begin looking closely at the text, starting with the first full sentence in verses three to four. It says, 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So the first thing I want to point out here is the phrase, even as, at the beginning of verse 4. The purpose of this phrase, even as, is to show us that what Paul just finished saying is directly connected to what he's about to say. So what did he just finish saying? That God is praiseworthy for blessing us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Then he connects it with this word kathos in Greek, or even as, he connects it to the phrase, he chose us. In other words, After writing verse three, Paul answers the question, what does being blessed in Christ look like? And the first thing Paul wants us to know is that being blessed in Christ means that God chose us before the foundation of the world. So so Paul doesn't begin describing the love of God for Christians by saying that Jesus came to earth or that Jesus taught us the truth or that Jesus died for us, which he did. The first thing God wants us to know here is that God chose us. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us to be rescued from sin through Christ. Now let's look more closely at that. Whom, and again, I want you in the Bible, I want you looking at it for yourself or on the screen, whatever. Whom does it say God chose? Us, okay? Us is the direct object or the recipient of God's choosing. God is the subject, chose is the verb, us is the direct object. The object of God's choosing is not his plan to choose us. The object, uh, the direct object here is not Jesus. The direct object is not an empty set of people. The direct object is us. Us is a group of individuals, okay? God chose individuals who collectively make a group. God's choosing is both individual and corporate in nature. So the big question is, who is us? (laughs) Who is Paul referring to here? Well, he goes on to to describe these chosen people in the following verses. Paul says that us refers to those who have redemption through Christ's blood and the forgiveness of their trespasses. Paul says that the people God chose have heard the word of truth, the gospel of their salvation, and believed in Jesus and were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So who is the us that was chosen by God in Christ before the foundation of the world? Believers in Jesus. Those who hear the gospel of Jesus and respond to it in faith. And what is this gospel to which we respond so that we're very clear? The gospel of Jesus is simply that God the Father so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever trusts in his son should not perish but have everlasting life. And consequently then, everyone who turns away from sin and turns to Jesus reveals that God chose him or her before the foundation of the earth to be saved through faith in Christ. And so how can you know if God chose you before the foundation of the world? Well, are you wanting God to forgive you of your sin, which has offended him and separated you from him? Do you want to be reconciled to your maker, the Lord? Do you want to know the Lord as a friend, 
and to follow him? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Do you believe Jesus lived a life without sin and that you haven't? And that he did this in order to save you from your sin? Do you believe that Jesus bore your sin in his body on the cross in order to suffer for your sin and to put your sin to death for you? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave three days later in victory over death? Do you believe that Jesus ascended into heaven, that he reigns as king of kings over all things and that he will return one day to judge the world just like he said he would? If you believe these things, then you are one of God's chosen people. God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. God did not choose you for salvation because you have believed God perfectly. You are not saved because of the quality of your faith. You are saved by the quality of your savior. It is the object of your faith Jesus Christ who saves you. It is not your perfect faith that saves you. You are saved because God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world. Praise God for that. And that's what Paul wants us to do. That's the whole purpose of this passage is to praise God for this. And so in verses three to 12, the us whom God chose refers to born again believers in Jesus. Why then does Paul speak about us in verses three to 12 and then talk about you in verse 13? Because the us in verses three to 12 almost certainly refers to Christians like Paul who were from a Jewish background. And that's why he's using a lot of Jewish language in this passage. And the you in verse 13 almost certainly refers to Christians from a Gentile background, a non-Jewish background, like most of the Ephesians were. And so the point Paul is making, which we'll talk, he will talk about later in the letter, is that no matter what your race or your background is, God saves anybody who he has granted repentance and faith to through Jesus Christ, okay? And anybody who has God granted repentance and faith in Jesus is somebody God chose in Christ before the foundation of the world because of his mercy. So let's keep reading then in verse four. Paul writes, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So for what purpose did God choose us before the foundation of the world? that we should be holy and blameless before him. You remember in verse one when Paul addressed the Ephesian Christians as saints? A saint is someone whom God has made holy and blameless through faith in Jesus Christ. God chose us in order to make us saints, in order to make us people who are holy and blameless in his sight because of Jesus. This means then that God did not choose us. He did not choose uh, this redeemed people so that they would stay in sin and in sinful lifestyles, but so that they would see it as sin and turn away from it and turn to Jesus and to follow him. He didn't choose us so that we would continue to follow Satan and continue to follow the culture around us. God chose us to free us from sin. 
He chose us to make us holy like he is holy. And so Christians, in the heavenly realms, it says God the Father has already declared us holy in his sight because he has covered us with the perfect blood of his own son, Jesus. So one of the evidences that God chose us is that in this life on earth right now, God is changing us as individuals and as a church, and he is making us more holy. God is helping us love others the way he tells us to. God is helping us love him the way he tells us to in his word. And this is why Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that's why Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. We need God's help to do that. All right, let's, let's look now at the end of verse four through verse six. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse five says that God predestined. To predestine means to predetermine, to decide beforehand, to foreordain. And who does verse five say that God predestined? Us. Okay. So the same us as before. Us refers to individuals who form a group. Us refers to born again believers in Jesus who now form God's church. God predestined us. Now there, there are two very important words right before verse five. What are they? In love. Before the foundation of the world, what drove God to choose people and to predestinate people to eternal salvation in Christ? His love. God's amazing, incomparable, gracious, self-sacrificing love. It was God's love for us, which he has most profoundly shown to us by laying down his only son to die for us. God loved us with such a love as this for the sake of our eternal redemption and joy and for the sake of his eternal glory. God's choosing and God's predestination are not doctrines we need to be apologetic about as Christians. On the contrary, these are the first thing Paul tells us to praise God for. They are evidences of God's love for us. Thank you, God, for choosing rebel sinners for salvation. Thank you for saving them from the eternal consequences of their rebellion against you. God does not have to do that. Thank you for showing mercy to us, Lord. Now look back at verse five. What did God predestine us for? For adoption. For adoption to whom? To himself as sons and daughters. Wouldn't you, now I read that and I'm like, man, I would have been happy if God had just adopted me to be his slave or just to mop his floors. But God says we're more than slaves to him. 
were his adopted sons and daughters. That that's why he predestined us. According to verse five, how did God predestine us to adoption as his sons and daughters? Through Jesus Christ. So what that means is you can't be an adopted son or daughter of God if you don't come through Jesus Christ. It's only through God the Son, Jesus Christ, that God adopts people to himself. And that's why Jesus said, I am the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Thank you, Lord, for making a way for us to come to you. For sacrificing your only Son through whom we can come to you. Now, if you keep reading verse 5, according to what criteria did God predestine us to adoption as his sons? According to what? The purpose of his will. This means that God's predestination of his people to adoption wasn't pointless, it wasn't futile, it was purposeful. And I love this, according to the Lagos Bible software, the word purpose here in Greek means this, a delightful fixed intention of benevolent favor. So God predestined us to adoption with delightfulness, with a fixed intention to show us his benevolent favor. Thank you, God. It is according to God's will, it says, that he has done this, that he's delightfully and benevolently predestined to adopt us to himself, to make us holy and blameless before him, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. And for this, he is praiseworthy. Now look at verse six. Again, Paul reminds us again. How does it say we should respond to God for doing all of this? To the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So praise his glorious grace. Praise God for blessing us in whom? The beloved. Do you know who the beloved is here? Jesus. Now get this, do you know why he's called the beloved? It's not because you love him so much, but because the Father loves him so much. He was the beloved before any of us were around. It's not because of our love for him, but because of God the Father's love for his son. And God the Father predestined to hide us in his beloved, to adopt us in his beloved son, to keep us forever in his beloved son. Thank you, God. (laughs) Thank you for forgiving rebel sinners like us, for washing away our sin with the blood of your son, for making us born again. Thank you for hiding us in your beloved son. Thank you for filling us with your spirit and with your love, Lord. Thank you. Now let's read verses seven to 11. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And like I said earlier, we're gonna be going through all of this in the next month, and so I'm not getting to all of it right now. The beginning of verse 11 though, um, it's a little hard to translate from Greek into English. 
It either means that in Christ we've obtained an inheritance, which likely refers to eternal life with Christ in glory, or it means that God claimed us as his inheritance, which is why the NIV translates this as we were also chosen instead of in him we have obtained an inheritance. But for our purposes today, it doesn't really matter which way we translate it, as long as we understand that God has blessed us in Christ by making us his own. What we're focusing on now this morning is how God blessed us. And the next phrase in verse 11 tells us, what does it say? Having been predestined. So the reason we have come to belong to God through Jesus is because we've been predestined by God for this. And according to verse 11, how did God go about determining that we as individuals and as his church would be predestined in Christ? Verse 11 says, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So, Paul describes God's predestinating love a little differently than he did earlier in verse five. What's interesting here in this verse is that Paul uses a different Greek word for purpose than in verse five. In verse five, purpose meant a delightful fixed intention of benevolent favor. Here in verse 11, purpose means determination or plan. And so here Paul writes that God predestined us to be his redeemed people according to his own determination or plan. So Christian, this means that your salvation was not an impromptu rescue plan that God quickly came up with after humanity sinned. God wasn't scrambling. No, it says before God ever made the world, he determined to set his love upon you. He knew you with his love before he ever ever even made you. That's what it means that God foreknew you. And further, he knew everything you'd ever do, good or bad, and he still determined to die for you and to make you his. Praise him. And how did God determine to work out that plan? How did he determine to predestine you for salvation? Let's see what verse 11 says. Having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So God predestined us to be his own according to his own plan, which accords with the counsel of his will. God's plan to save you from sin wasn't your bright idea. His plan to save you was the result of his gracious, loving will. That is why John 1.12 says, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will, sorry, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But why? (laughs) Why were we we born again, not of our own will, but the will of God? Why must our salvation depend on God choosing us first and not on our choosing him first? This is why, because you and I are exactly like our first parents, Adam and Eve. 
None of us can say, well, if I'd been in the Garden of Eden, I would have done it differently. I never would have disbelieved God and sinned against him. Yeah, you would have. You know why? Because you are the offspring of Adam and Eve. Psalm 51 says you were conceived in sin. You and I were predisposed to disobey and to disbelieve God when we were yet in our mother's wombs. Thus, the fall of humanity in the Garden of Eden was far worse than we can fully comprehend. See, not only did God punish us by sending us away from him, so that's what our sin does. It separates us from God so that we cannot have relationship with anymore. He sends us out of the garden. He puts angels in front with swords flaming at the garden entrance so that we cannot get to God anymore. Okay? There's a separation because of sin. Not only did God punish us that way, but he also allowed sin to change us. In Genesis 3, think about the curse. God says that man will act this sinful way according to man's new sinful nature. Women will act this sinful way now according to this new sinful nature. So sin has ruined our wills. And so why must our salvation depend on God choosing us first and not on us choosing him first? Because left to ourselves, none of us will trust in Jesus with true saving faith. Left to ourselves, we will not accept the gospel of God. It is foolishness to us. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, the natural person does not accept the things of the spirit of God. The gospel is the, a thing of the spirit of God, you guys. The natural person doesn't accept it. They're folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And to make matters worse, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Satan's got, how are you gonna get Satan's hands off your spiritual eyes? Who can save you from this kind of spiritual bondage? Only your maker, God. He's the sovereign over everything, over all powers. Only he can do it. God must break us free from sin's power over us. He must break us free from Satan's power over us. We're slaves to Satan. That's what the, just read about that in, in Romans. God must make us born again. God must free us. He must free our wills. He must make us alive. He must free us from our bondage to sin and to disbelief because we're just like Adam and Eve on our own. And that's why Romans 9.16 says, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God the Father mercifully predestined to adopt us to himself in Christ. And then Jesus Christ accomplished the atoning work necessary to redeem us through his perfect life, death, and resurrection for us. And then sometime what happened during our lives, if we belong to God, something what, what happened at one point is that one time the gospel was communicated to us and 
the Holy, and even if we'd heard it a hundred times before, there was something about this time, the Holy Spirit used it to open our eyes to the glory of God and Jesus Christ, and he made us born again. God mercifully granted us repentance and faith in Jesus. This was God's will, not ours. God's will before the foundation of the earth was to redeem and restore many rebels and blasphemers who would never love God, but for his predestinating love for them. Acts 13, to 48 gives us a good description of how God's predestined new birth looks from our vantage point. It says the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord, the gospel. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. So what, did they like it? The natural, no, it was foolishness. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying. So they were glorifying the word of the Lord. Their response to the gospel and to Jesus Christ, all of a sudden they see Jesus as glorious in this and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Who does the appointing, us or God? God in his mercy. Those who were appointed by God to eternal life believed when they heard the word of the Lord. And how did they respond when God saved them? By rejoicing and glorifying God. Now look at Ephesians 1.12. What is the end purpose of God's salvation that we might be to the praise of his glory? God wants us to praise him the same way that the Gentiles in Acts 13 praised him. Praise God for his plan, for his mercy, for his love that saves us despite ourselves, not because of ourselves. (laughs) Our salvation from beginning to end is by God's grace alone. And that's why Paul, after talking about predestination for three, nine, ten, three chapters in Romans, says this, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. No person, it says no person, no created thing has been his counselor. His counselor is his own good will. His good will because God is incomparably good. In all he is and in all that he wills, God is supremely good. 
Now I realize I haven't discussed everything the Bible says about this doctrine and that, that has not been my goal. My goal has been to preach what Ephesians 1, 3 to 14 says about God's predestinating love. That being said, I'd like to quickly share four additional applications from this passage. First, God's predestinating love should humble us. It should not make us arrogant. It should humble us. Yes, we chose Christ in the sense that we made a very real response of faith to the gospel when we heard it. But the reason we were able to respond in faith is because the Holy Spirit used the proclamation of the gospel to free our will from its bondage to sin. We chose God because he chose us first. We love God because God loved us first. Man, it... In a sermon Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones preached in London in 1954, he said this. And I'm not, you're not, he doesn't, he said, I don't want you to play any of my sermons. And so, yet, yeah, I have to read it to you, okay? He said this. I am what I am because of God's grace, and I give to him all the glory. Were I to believe that my future is dependent on myself and my decisions, I would tremble in fear. But I thank God that I know that I am in his hand and that he who has began a good work in me will go on with the work. In spite of myself and what I was and am, the Lord will not let me go. He will not his purpose forego. It is because I know that before time began, before the foundation of the world, he looked at me and saw me and selected me and in his mind gave me to Christ. It is because I know that with the Apostle Paul, I'm able to say that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Second, let's not allow this doctrine to create division in our church family. That doesn't mean we can't or shouldn't talk about predestination. It's in God's word. It does mean that we shouldn't engage in conversations about this arrogantly or belligerently. That would not be Christ-like. Jesus tells us to be humble and to love one another. And further, I would add this. You do not have to agree with every nuance of my interpretation of this to be a member here, okay? Okay? I would add that this isn't a doctrine for us to discuss together for the sole purpose of philosophical navel gazing, okay? The idea of free will and all of this, this, people have been discussing this for thousands of years. What God wants us to do is to read his word and to be changed by it and then to go live differently because of it. And so if we're seeking, if we're not seeking to utilize discussions about things like this for the purpose of edification and for mission and for love for God and for others, then we need to check ourselves, okay? I was so encouraged a few Sundays ago when I saw worshiping in the back row with us a pastor from another church in our community. And I'm, I'm almost positive he has a different view on this doctrine than I do. But he had a week off and he said he, he, there's no other place he wanted to be than here at Cedar Home to worship with us. He and I love each other. We do not see this doctrine the exact same way, and that's okay. And I've got guys in my community group who I love and who don't see this the exact same way, but you know what? We're raising our kids together, 
and we're, we're trying to follow the Lord together, we're getting in the word together, we love each other, and that's the most important, okay? In the words of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, our understanding of this doctrine does not determine our salvation. So let's love one another. Let's take care of one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's stay united together, even though we may have differences about this doctrine or, or other nuances of other doctrines. What we want to agree on is our statement of faith. Third, Ephesians 1.4 says that God chose us that we should be holy. We should never use our salvation as an excuse to sin against God and others. If that is our understanding of the cross of Christ, we're in deep trouble. God saved us to free us from ourselves, to free us from sin, so that we might pursue him now, so that we might be free to run after him and to turn away from sin. And fourth, since God predestines people to Christ to himself, then why should we pray for the lost? And should we take the gospel to the ends of the earth? And this is a whole nother sermon, but I, I don't have time for that. I'll just say this. First, we do it because God commands us to. We would be sinful and disobedient not to pray for the lost and not to preach the gospel and not to love our neighbors. Second, because God has not only appointed ends, but also he has appointed means. So in, if the end goal of praying for the lost, if the end goal of evangelizing is for God to make people born again, then we also must understand prayer as a crucial God-ordained means through which God works to do this, to save souls. He responds to our prayers. And on whether we should preach the gospel, I mean, Romans 10, 14, let's just read that one verse. How then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? We're supposed to go tell all creation the gospel. All right. I want to close our time with a, 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 a psalm. So if you would op- uh, go ahead and stand up. I'll, I'll read this scripture and let me pray for us. Psalm 145, 1 to 10 says this, and we're not gonna put it on the screen. I want you to just listen. I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to bless you.
We thank you for this word that you've given us today. We want to humbly admit we, your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We do not pretend to know you or to try to tie you in our neat little theological boxes. You are awesome. You've given us your revealed word because you want us to know these things. And so we humbly uh, want to be good stewards of this, not to be apologetic for anything that's in your word. We want to use your word, God, to spur us on to love you and to love others more. We thank you, Lord, that you reached out, that you chose us despite ourselves, not because of ourselves. Thank you for being filled with mercy and compassion. We pray for our lost loved ones and our relatives, and we, we know that nobody is too far gone for you, God. We ask Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would break into their hearts and help them see the glory of God in you, Jesus. Save them, please. But for your grace, we're hopeless, God. We need you in our lives. And we need you and we plead with you, please work in our lives and in the lives of our neighbors and in our loved ones. We are not God, you are. We are created. And we, you created us for your glory. And we thank you that it's your good will for us to have joy and redemption in Jesus Christ. And for that, we wanna praise you and give thanks and sing songs and tell the whole world how awesome you are. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you guys. I hope you have a great day, love you.